the Women of Color STEM Conference presents Behavior in Business, Best Practices in Business Etiquette, a professional development seminar featuring Andre Thornton of QSI Global Incorporated. Andre Thornton leads a close-knit discussion that fields questions and anecdotes from the audience when developing better business etiquette skills. Without further ado, the Women of Color STEM Conference presents Behavior in Business, Best Practices in Business Etiquette, a professional development seminar featuring Andre Thornton. You know how that works already. That's great. That's great. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some, some ideas. I'm going to also share some personal stories because I think that hopefully will help spark some ideas for you. And the first thing I want to share, and I'm, I have some slides I'm going to go through to explain this, but you realize that the most important impression that we make is on ourselves. It's on ourselves first. There's this little voice that each of us has inside that tells us who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And I want to tell you a little bit about how that journey has evolved for me. So my name is Andre Thornton, as I mentioned. I'm here representing Kusai Global. Kusai Global is a global leadership development firm. I have another firm that I own that does leadership development. And before I did this, I was an engineer. So now I call myself a people engineer. So I've spent the last three years studying what makes people do what they do. And I've come up with some pretty interesting research around that that I want to jump into with you. Okay, so I've got to do this awkward thing where I've got to go up to the podium and hit the slides because I don't have a clicker. So I want to stay here with y'all, but I've got to be up there. So just when I'm up there, think of me as here in spirit. <laughs> so I went to uh, military college, and I didn't want to go into the military after, so I, I started working at Lockheed Martin. And when I got to Lockheed Martin, it was 1998, and when I showed up, I was 22 years old. The facility that I was at, we built airplanes. There were about 10,000 people there that worked there. And the average age was 53. And I had never seen an airplane on a production line before. I had only fl flown an airplane twice in my life. I knew nothing about building airplanes. I knew nothing about how airplanes worked. I knew nothing about any of the people that were around me. And as I said, the average age was 30 years older than me. And I had to figure out what to do in this environment. So I had this very interesting journey for 18 years at Lockheed Martin that I'm gonna quickly go through. And then I'm gonna share with you some of, when I went back and researched how all this stuff happened, I'm gonna share with you some of the things that I found out that hopefully will be applicable to you. So I started in 1998 as an entry level engineer. Four years later, I became what was called a technical assistant to one of our executives. And this was the chief operating officer for the division that built airplanes for the company and did that in Fort Worth, Fort Worth, Texas. I then moved into a position, anyone heard of F-35? 
F-35 is a fighter jet. It's a, um, it is the largest contract ever let by the United States government. It's expected to be a, a total value of half a trillion dollars when it's complete. And I was kind of early on in this role of developing how we're going to build these airplanes so that we can roll one off the assembly line every day. And I, again, I, again, all this stuff, I had no, nothing, no knowledge, and all this stuff just kind of happened. So next, I went to the F-22 program. Anyone heard of F-22, another fighter jet? And then got an MBA and, and became a senior manager in a group called Business Ventures, where we put multi-billion dollar business deals together to sell airplanes, and then became a director in a group, an engineering, an IT group, and I had 2,000 people that I was responsible for. And so this was 14 years at the company. And then four years after that, I decided to leave and start my own firm. But I share this not to say, wow, look, this is a great career. Y'all are here at this conference. You're going you're gonna to meet people that have amazing stories like this. And they're going to, a lot of times, try to share with you some of the nuggets of knowledge that they learn. And hopefully, that's a big part of the experience that you hope to get here. But I want to take a little bit different view of this, and I want to show you how much of this wasn't about me and how much of it was about the science behind what was happening within me and the people around me that I stumbled upon. So in order to do that, I've got to go back to me as a little boy. Because when I started studying this, I realized there were some clues in my past that explain some of these concepts. So this is me graduating kindergarten. So a lot of this stuff gets instilled in us when we're young, right? It's interesting to think about, though, who we were and who we've become. So I was, you can probably tell by the look on my face, I was really shy and awkward. And you can't really tell from this picture, but I was so skinny, well, maybe you can, that my clothes would always kind of be falling off. You couldn't find clothes that fit me because I wasn't at the right weight for the age. I was a height, but I didn't have the weight. So because I was so, so skinny, I was also shy, and I was introverted. And those are two different things. I learned that recently, with the last several years. So I was, I was shy, which means I didn't really like people to look at me. And I was introverted in that I get re-energized when I'm alone, and I, it takes a lot of energy when I'm around a lot of people. So this caused me to be sort of the quiet kid in the back of the room all the time. And it caused a lot of people to ask me what was wrong. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? So I got this, when people ask me what's wrong now, I still kind of have a trigger around. Nothing, I'm fine, I'm fine, because it would bother me so much. So one year, a few years after this, I started playing football. Do we have any football fans, any football, any teams that you, rep, that you would be proud to say? Ravens. Are you from Boston? That's right, you're from that area. I just went to Ravens game last weekend, the Browns. It was a rough one. Move on. <laughs> so I started playing this game called football. And so I'll explain a little bit in detail on how this went for those that may not watch the game. So football is a bunch of crazy men and boys that line up and they run into each other. That's the best way to describe it, on purpose. That's the most important part. So I was nine years old, and I, and I got in this game. I started playing. I was looking for different things to do, and I started playing. And 
So the way it happens, everyone kind of lines up. It's the strangest thing, y'all. Everyone lines up facing each other. And then all of a sudden, something happens that says go, and then everybody just runs into each other, right? So everybody just collides into each other. When I first started watching, this is exactly how I thought of the game. So what I did, I was nine years old. I was what's called a running back. So running back, the whole point is you run into each other until the one of you gets past them and gets a, a score. So I was on the side, hello, come on to the table. What's your name? Malitha. nice to meet you, please join us. I'm just telling old football stories. Are you, are you a football person at all? Okay, any sport? Softball and basketball. Softball, that's different. So in this game, they gave me the ball, and I would get really scared because whoever has the ball, everybody on this side, they just want to kind of kill. So I got the ball, and I closed my eyes, and I just ran into all these people as hard as I could, and I bust through. So everyone just kind of missed me, and I, and I ran for a long time. I got a touchdown. And after that, I started thinking, hey, I must be pretty good at football because I got a touchdown. I just closed my eyes and went like this and kept running and got a touchdown. And to be honest, I wasn't all that good in football, but I started to believe I was. So with this belief, I carried on through high school. And senior year, I get this, this call and this, this set of meetings with this school that want to bring me in to play football at their college. And they want to give me a scholarship to play football. So they want to pay for my school. And I want to major in engineering. And this school had a great engineering program. So I really wasn't that good at football, but somehow I ended up on this team playing football. And I ended up being a freshman at, at this school. And I, I couldn't believe I was there. I was still not this skinny, but I was still skinny to be playing Division I football. And I get into a game they put me in. And it's funny how you look back and you do a lot of the same things. So they put me in this game. And I'm what's called a defensive back, which means there's a person that throws the ball and the person that catches the ball. I'm the person on the other team that's trying to keep the guy that's catching the ball, keep him from catching it. So we're in the, we're in the game. I'm a freshman. It's the second game of the, of the year. They put me in, which I didn't know why, but they did. So here's the way it goes. I lined up, and I see this guy. He's like at least four or five inches taller than me, and I'm supposed to line up. And my job is to cover him and make sure he doesn't catch the ball. So I look at him, and he's looking at the quarterback. So I look over at the quarterback. Quarterback says, hike. I look up, and he's gone. So he takes off. He runs past me. And I'm running. I'm frantically behind him. And we get into the end zone where they can score a touchdown. And I see his eyes get real big. And all I could do was think, this is so embarrassing. They just put me in the game. I'm, they're going to score a touchdown on me. So all I could do was think to close my eyes, and this is literally what I did, y'all, just like this. No! So I ended up hitting this guy, and I knocked him down, and he went out of bounds, and the ball went out of bounds, so he didn't score. It was a pass breakup. I thought it was pass interference for y'all to know the game. It was pass breakup. So fast forward to later in the game, the exact same thing happened in the opposite end zone. So now I become, the coach decides, a starter on this team. So I'm a starter playing football. 
I still don't really know why I'm there, but I'm going to start on the team. So fast forward to sophomore year. We're playing a team called University of Tennessee Chattanooga, and we're winning the game, which is unusual. We're winning by 17-14. And I line up again against this guy. who ends up, for those that don't know, becoming one of the best football players ever to live. So I line up against him, and at this time he was in college, but he was still this monster of a human being. And I'm back, and I'm literally just kind of shaking a little bit. I'm not even in my stance. I'm just kind of shaking. And so the ball is hiked, and he's running right, right towards me. And I'm like, please, you know, just do something other than run right past me, because if you want to do something in front of me, I can at least run up and try to tackle you. But of course, he runs right past me. So he runs right past me. I turn around, chasing him, I'm running as frantically as I can. We're getting close to the end zone. I see his eyes get real big. See him put his hands up. All I could do is my signature move. <laughs> I ended up hitting T.O. I hit the ground, he hit the ground, I looked over, the ball was on the ground. It was a game-winning pass breakup. So how does this skinny kid that wasn't good at anything, was shy in the back of the room, didn't think he was really good enough to play football, but just believed enough in himself to try it, end up defending someone that ends up becoming one of the greatest players of all time? This is a question that once I started trying to think about how everything happened in my career, how everyone's achieved success, there must be something here besides skill, right? What do y'all think it is? What are your thoughts? Divine order is supposed to be there at that time? I agree. It's all happening the way it's supposed to. Any thoughts on what could have been going on? How, how does someone that doesn't have the skill set necessarily match up? Start to believe in yourself. So what does belief do? It empowers you. Does it allow you to do things that maybe you didn't know you could do? So I got fascinated by that. And I went and I tried to find something to explain it. And I found this really interesting model that's called the dimensions of human performance in this book. And the way the author broke it down, he said that we basically have three dimensions. We have our intellectual ability, which is our IQ. We have our emotional intelligence. Everyone heard of EQ, emotional intelligence? Buzzword? So the author then said we also have this other thing called our creative subconscious, which is where our beliefs, our values, our natural talents, everything that makes up who we are, everything that defines our I am, sits in our subconscious. We don't think about who we are. We just act about who we are. We do things that we would do. So the fascinating thing about this, which by the way, when I first saw this, I thought it was the opposite. The reason the bubbles get bigger is they say 85% of our success comes from these bottom two bubbles, only 15% from our intellect. So the best news about all of this is science also says 
that we can literally expand and grow who we are. We can physically change the neurologic connections in our brain that allow us to do more things simply by believing we can do it, trying it, achieving it. Every time we do something new and we achieve it, we expand. Every time we sit and think about something we want to do that we haven't done before, we correct, connect new neurons and begin the process of expanding. So I'm here to tell you that you can, you know, people say when you're a child, you can be whatever you want to be, you can do whatever you want to do. There's science that says you literally can do anything. But there's reasons that we sort of decide we're going to stay in a certain box. So this is just scratching the surface. And each of you would just scratch the surface of what you're capable of. But within society, we're told that we can kind of try things, not try things. And we tend to sort of take the safe route. But when we take these minor steps, we start to expand and grow. Every one of you have has taken steps. Every one of you have done something you haven't done before. You started school. You started a new job. You maybe moved jobs, moved into a job that you weren't quite sure what you were doing yet, but you had to figure it out. Each and every time you succeeded. Have you ever thought about the fact that the only thing that keeps you from doing certain things is that you haven't thought about doing them yet? So we're going to do a little exercise. We're going to play a little game. And that game is, I'd like you to think back to your childhood. Think back to that picture that I showed earlier, if you have a vision of yourself. And think about what that child would want you to do. Think about what that child wants to be when it grows up. No limitations. What is something that you would like to achieve that you have not yet achieved? If I were to tell you that there is a 100% guarantee that you will succeed, what would you decide to go do? All right. I'm going to ask, does anyone have any thoughts? Because I imagine some of you may have had an initial thought, and it maybe seemed too crazy. So you kind of said, no, let me think of something else. Because you might ask me to say it out loud. But believe it or not, that initial thought is the most important one. Because what bubbled up is what's down in your I am bubble, what's down in your subconscious. When I asked that question, it bubbled up. But there's all these circumstances that tell you you can't accomplish that. So you immediately let those circumstances tell you, no, 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 no. And this is what we do consistently. So what was your first thought? Who's brave enough to share? Pediatrician. Do you remember when you, you decided to go a different direction? Anything in particular trigger it to switch? All of a sudden, it just shifted. Yeah. So that's something new to think about. I bet as you long, if you think about it, you'll figure it out. How about you, Sam? Hmm. Voice of the Raven. Anywhere. So do you know what it was about sports commentation that, that drew you to it? Or that interested you? Just love watching sports? Hmm. Juanita, do you know what it was that drew you towards pediatrician? That may seem like a far reach from Mercedes-Benz financial IT management. 
Right. Seems like they're separate. We're gonna we're gonna come back. We're gonna come back to that. We're gonna we're gonna come back to that. We're gonna come back to that. So so how about anyone else? What what came up for you? What do you want to do? An astronaut. Fantastic. I love that. Do you believe you can become an astronaut? You absolutely can become an astronaut. I and I I, I know you're relatively new into into the working world. So those of us that have, have some some time. You know, based on where she is in life, she can decide whatever she wants to do, and she can put herself in a position to become an astronaut. Like it to us, because we've experienced life, we can look back and say, oh, you just kind of have to do this, this, and this. You absolutely can do it. So the, the, the question becomes, how bad do you want to do it? And that's what determines. I want to point out something you just said, though. You said that you changed as a child, which also makes me think seventh, eighth grade. What's going on with the, the our guidance counselors around there? Somebody jumped in. <laughs> right. Somebody comes in with the reality stick, right? At seventh, eighth grade, because that's when we start getting the question. And then that's when people start, no, you no, you can't. But then what you said was a lot of reading. So some of it is just we just discover more about the thing and realize that's not something we want to do. So that's also part of it. But this reality stick thing is, is also very real. So one more. Anybody else? And what do you do now? Corps of Engineer Administrator. So you're an administrative support for Corps of Engineering. And you wanted to be, you said, an, an, a teacher, a school teacher, physical education. Excellent. I love these ideas. So the question of whether or not you believe you can do it is the most important question that I'm asking. But if you don't have this firm, yes, I believe I can do it, when I ask that question, you should not feel, feel bad about that. You should not feel like there's something wrong with you. And that's how we all are. The question then becomes, are you willing to try whether you believe you can or not? That's the real question. Who's willing to take action and take steps to move towards it? So this idea of mindset, this idea of what's happening in our subconscious is really powerful. But I want to jump to another subject. Has anyone thought about what causes you to actually take the step towards the thing you want to do or not take it? So the final question that I asked just now, the real question is, will you take the step? Think back to things that you've taken the step towards that you wanted and things that you've halted. What would you say are some of the reasons that you, you took the step? Deciding what school to go to, deciding what major, deciding what job to apply for. So it's how things, how things lined up that allowed you to move to the next thing. Circumstances. For each one, things had to line up in a way that it would be feasible to do the next thing. It just made sense. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that's what we most, all of us do, right? Depends on circumstances that determine what we can do or can't do. How about other thoughts? What, what was... The thing that, uh, that allowed you to take that step, the thing that, that encouraged you to take the step. So when you started this new role, or when you decided to go for the new role, where you're now the director of this program for cybersecurity professionals to develop over three years, if I remember, what was it about that role that drew you to it? So we take these steps. Sometimes we decide to take the step based on the idea we have. Sometimes we decide not to. 
When we decide to take the step, that usually means we're moving towards this thing called purpose. Anyone ever thought about what their purpose is? Purpose in life? It's not a common question. And it makes us in this space where it's like this, this mystery of what our purpose is. It's the most intimate thing to us, but we don't know what it is because we haven't been taught to figure out what it is. So one way of thinking about this is that purpose is something bigger than us. In order for it to drive us from within, it actually has to be something external that we want to help and support. So it starts with an understanding of a need, possibly a need that the world has or a need for the organi your organization has. Next is what are we passionate about? So what within that need, organizations in the world need all kinds of things. What are the things that specifically we care about? And then what are our natural talents to help get it done? So within that will be our purpose. So here we sit within a company. Let's think about this in terms of our organizations. So there's a company or there's a government agency, and it has a purpose, it has a mission, vision, values, and it has its performance that it does. Have you ever thought of yourself as you incorporated, and that you're the CEO of me incorporated, and that you sit within this organization? And so all you are is aligned to this organization's purpose. So you're trying to figure out what is your, your why. And then you're graded on what your performance is every year by your managers. But this question of how your, your why, how your, your I am aligns with the organization's I am is what causes these many nudges for us to take this particular job, get with this particular organization, so these are things that are happening subtly below the surface. We just take the action. We don't realize why we took it. So this is really important because it's powerful to know that this is what happens to us. So here was my job. I was at Lockheed Martin. Let me give you an example of this. Lockheed Martin has its mission to solve complex challenges and do this amazing scientific discovery. They have values of respecting people, doing the right thing, and performing with excellence. And it has its performance. So I thought of myself as Andre Incorporated, or me Incorporated, and then I had to say, well, what is my why and what is my what, my performance? So the way I did this, I didn't know anything about this why stuff, this purpose stuff back in the day. So all I would know to do is set a goal. So when I was entry to the company, I set a goal. I was learning this 3D manufacturing simulation technology. And I set a goal that I'm learning this, and my goal is I want to reduce the cost of building an F-22 aircraft. I set that as a goal. I didn't know why I had that goal, but I said I'm going to do something. I want to be measurable. So I set that as a goal. We get in these jobs. We have these tasks. We have these objectives for the year. Have you ever thought when you get in a job, decide what you want to go on your resume as an accomplishment, and then work towards accomplishing it? Go ahead and write it out on your resume as if it's already happened, and then make it happen. Make it accomplishment. Make it something that's measurable. So I started with this idea of a goal. Later on in life, I figured out what my values were. And this took some time, some introspection. But I realized that my top three values are growth. I'm really big on am I developing and making progress? And are other people developing and making progress? Altruism, 
for whatever reason, I just like to give to people without expecting anything, anything in return, and then make it an impact. I want to be able to tell what I did, did it work? There's dozens to over hundreds of values that you can decide. Spend time and just think about what bubbles up when you look at lists of values as the most important ones. These are the kinds of questions of, of the things that happen that are down in our subconscious that when we ask ourselves the questions, they bubble up. And they start giving us all these clues about ourselves. There'll be a reason that you choose one thing and not another. So the next thing I did was I figured out, based on these values, what was a vision of what I wanted to achieve. And I set a vision based on growth, altruism, and making an impact of helping other people reach their full potential. So now I had these values and I had this vision of really what it is that I want to achieve. And I said, how is this attached to a goal? How did this attach to my goals when I'm starting at the company, I'm 22 years old. At the time, I was thinking I was focused on how do I make money? How do I buy a house? Have the car I want? But really, there was something else going on in the background with my values and my vision. And let me tell you the clue that I got about what it was. So every time I would learn something new, like when I did, I was very fortunate and came up with a project that saved the company money. The very first thing I would do was go teach it to someone. I was always mentoring. I was always trying to help other people. So every time as I moved up in my career, I would find these opportunities to take what I achieved and feed it to them. It got to the point where the only reason I wanted to achieve things was so I could have something new to talk about. That's how important it was for me to help other people grow. So now I have this what that I'm doing over and over again. And then later on in life, I figured out why I was actually doing it. It ended up that it wasn't for me, it was for them. Any thoughts on experiences that you've had and why you may be doing it? So, I know we're talking business, but when I had done this thing where I had figured out for my career what it was that my values were and then what ultimately I wanted to accomplish, and I started feeding these goals. I actually built this out into a little module called Life Alignment. And I said, well, if I'm doing that for my career, why wouldn't I do it for the rest of my life? So I decided, what are the areas of my life that are most important? Work-life balance. You don't necessarily show up as your best version at work if you're having a really hard time at home with either relationships, it could be financial situations, it could be all kinds of things that affect us. So we talk about this eight hours when we're at work, but do we put the same amount of attention? We sit down and we lay out with our manager, what are our objectives for the year? We track ourselves, we make sure that we're making progress, but that's just one facet of who we are. Have you ever thought to do the same for the other facets? To actually define what are the goals in each area of your life that's most important? And then what are, the, what are the visions that you have for your life and what you want your life to be in each of these areas? So this is focusing on the entire being, the entire person. And I think when we talk about business, if we leave out the rest of who we are as an individual, 
we, we miss an opportunity to apply the same tools that we use to perform and grow in our business to perform and grow in every other area of life. So I just wanted to show that. All right, so we're going to do a little exercise, and then we're going to take a short break. So everyone has a sheet of paper, hopefully in a pen. So the purpose of this exercise is to steer up from what's down in your subconscious more clues as to what your purpose is. I'm going to ask a couple questions that are intended to be thought-provoking and also possibly a little uncomfortable. But this is a very important question. So if you could draw a line in the sheet, a horizontal line like what's on the screen. And at the left end of the line, you could write the word birth. And on the right end of the line, write the word death. Now, everyone has a line? If you could place a dot on the line where you believe you are today. Everyone had a dot? Okay, so no, none of us really know where our dot is, right? But there's this concept that there's a line and there's a dot. We don't like to think about this concept, but I'm going to show you why I had to think about this concept. So forget about the line. Forget about there being a beginning and an end to the line. At this moment right now, What would you say is one thing that you would like to make better at your organization, possibly outside of your organization in the world? What is one thing that you see as a problem that you would like to solve? What bubbles up for you? There were a couple of folks are still writing. I want to share with you that these, these questions, these concepts are questions and concepts that I've been run through when I got executive leadership coaching. I was, I was being coached by someone that was being paid $900 an hour to coach executives at a company. And these are the kinds of introspective questions and perspectives that senior executives get to have as they come into work every day. So when you see a senior executive and they seem like they're really into what they do, they've been coached on understanding things like this about themselves and how they align to the work they do. So the reason I do this in workshops is I think we should all get that opportunity to be aligned with our passions are and what we really care about to the work that we do. I don't think it should just be the senior leaders of the organization. So what you're getting is a, a very quick a sort of abbreviated version of executive coaching. And it's intended not to necessarily give you all the answers of exactly what you want to do, but it's intended to have you start to think about these things and then hopefully plant seeds that you can then take and grow once you leave this. So that's what this is all about. I guess I should have told you that up front. All right, anybody want to share their goal? Communications at, at the organization? So there must be some things that are not happening or things that are happening that are bad because of lack of communication that are bothering you. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to focus on 
solving one of your problems. So the rest of the time, we're going to talk about how does business etiquette affect you being able to do the thing that you wrote down. OK, so we're going to improve communication at the Naval Surface Warfare Center. OK, so we need to understand a little bit about the problem. So we're all her consultants, y'all. We're going to help her solve this. So could you tell us a little bit about the current communication issues or current mode of communication that you see? So there's a lot of finger pointing, blaming going on in general. How would you describe this new communication that you would like to see? So do you feel like people don't listen to each other? Can you think of an example of, and this is just to help us paint the picture of exactly what it's like to see this bad communication. Is there a specific example that comes to mind of a situation that happened? But you notice that there's something wrong with communication, right? Anyone else have communication challenges in their organization? You're listening to Behavior in Business. Best Practices in Business Etiquette, a professional development seminar featuring Andre Thornton. Brought to you by the Women of Color STEM Conference, uniting women in STEM by continuing the press for progress. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. What have you done to try to help? What have you done? Well, first, let me make sure I understand correctly. Yeah. And I like visuals. So this is this is A. Uh -huh. Actually, we're going to make it red. Yeah, okay. So we have A, and A is, both A and B are doing the same work. Right. There's external hardware customers. You know, some of it. Uh, yeah. And for A, he's doing his job okay. Yeah. When the hardware customer asks for something, he does a great job. For them, yeah. and he, uh -huh. and they love him. Right. For B, right. he's doing some of A's job, yeah. but he's not the best communicator with. Is it the same hardware group yeah, or different hardware? Oh, okay, so we got the same yeah. hardware group. Yeah. So he's back here doing all the job, all the work, mm -hmm. and but he's not as responsive with the hardware group, so they don't like they don't like this person. Yeah. But yeah. you see him back here doing all the work. Right. So first. <laughs> We're going to analyze what's going on with A, okay? okay? Yeah. So this is a theory. Someone back in the 90s, they studied people that moved up in their companies. And they asked them, how much time do you spend focused on performance, image, and exposure? So performance is, just as it sounds, the work that you do, how well you do it. Image is a lot when we think about etiquette, it's what people's opinion of you would be, where they stay behind closed doors. Exposure is how many people know you, and are they the right people? So they studied this, and they came up with a percentage for P, I, and E on where these people focus that have successfully moved up. So where would you put it? In this scenario? Well, no, I'm saying, I'm saying in general. Well, that scenario aside, just based on what you see in, in your work environment. 
So A has seen this chart. It sounds right. Maybe not actually seen it, but he understands that it's not just the image that he has, which he pays attention to because he's making sure that the quote unquote important people have the right view of his work. The other thing is he's focused on the important projects, which increases his exposure. It sounds like person B is either not interested in the idea of quote unquote moving up or not aware that this is a lot of times, and this is very informal. Organizations can't say this is how it works. But this is, this is, and this is human nature, because if you think about who's making, people don't get voted into management by the people that they lead. They get pulled up. They get chosen through an interview process, or sometimes they're just hand-selected. But it's all about the people choosing, knowing the person, and that's where the exposure comes in. So here, here's the caveat, and this yeah. is really important. Yeah. And I want to bring this up to this A person as well. You actually have to have mastered this in order to play this game successfully. Yeah. And let me tell you why. Uh -huh. If you are not a solid performer, uh -huh. when you get exposed, and people go back and ask your manager, because right. the first thing that executive is going to do is want to find out about you. Right. And the first person they're going to think to talk to is whoever your direct manager is. And if they don't get a positive response about your performance, then they, they walk away. Because now they're not going to put their reputation on the line to help you grow if you're not going to perform, because then that's making their name look bad. So the idea here, this is make you feel a little bit better is that you do have to knock the performance for this to really work. Now, person A, he's playing a dangerous game because this isn't solid and he's doing this and he can get found out. The more he gets exposed, if, if there's an entire group of people that don't like what he's doing, someone's gonna talk to someone in that group and it's gonna end up hurting his reputation. So he's playing a dangerous game by not focusing on this. So the idea is that you get so good at this, when you first get in any job, you learn the job. You become the absolute best at that job. And then, and all the while you're thinking about these things, but you're not really focused on them until your performance is top notch. But once, the problem is that many people will focus on performance and not know about these two and just keep focusing on performance and then wonder why they're not growing. <laughs> so that's the, that's the challenge because no one can tell this to you. Right? Uh. No one in the, in the organization can sit down and say, well, this is how it really works. Maybe offline and informally. And it's not, you know, this is just a study that was done. It's not anything that's science and written, but just conceptually. And y'all have seen it happen. This is sort of how it works. So I have an additional thought on how to get the exposure. So if you were to really pay attention to your organization, who are the influencers? Who are the leaders of the organization that you really want to get exposure to? You're likely to, to come up with a short list of people, a short list of people that you would really like to potentially be connected to that could help your career grow. So the exposure can seem daunting when it's like, how do I get the whole company to know all this great work I'm doing? Do I just have to go around and talk about how great I am all the time? Which, you know, just saying 
we're great all the time, in, in that sense, is not a good thing because there's a very, it's an art to it. You got to be able to talk positively about yourself by being, and be humble at the same time. So there's a whole art to that, which we can talk about. But what you can do for this, this can actually be one person. This can be one person that knows you, that says, hey, I like this individual. I think they have a bright future. I'm going to help them grow. And when that one person, if they're the right person, says that, then they can put you in certain talent development programs. They can put you in leadership development. They can put you in certain training. They can put you for, you may notice some people get chosen in the organization for things to be in training or for programs, leadership programs and those kinds of things. They've, they've been tapped by someone in the organization. It can be one person. So for me, in my career, there were three people that literally took me from a level one to a level seven. There were three individuals, and I can think back on the very specific things that they did. And it took them being hands-on, saying, I'm going to help you do this. And it happened three different times. And they were all big, huge shifts. And if I had not gotten those shifts, there's no way my career would have been what it was. So I can talk to you a little bit about how to do that. Because that is, I think, that's the, the thing that we don't get at work. We don't get, even in mentoring sometimes at work, there's just certain things that, and I've been studying this stuff, so that's why I'm able to talk about it so much. I've literally have sat down. When I was still at the company and was a director, I couldn't explain all this stuff to you. But now that I've just devoted my entire life to studying how it works, now I can, I can explain it to you a little bit better. Okay, so let me, let me give you another, another con concept and then we'll talk about some tactics. All right, so bear with me on this diagram. So there's this book called The Speed of Trust, which is a, it has several great books. Um, but this one was very well done by Stephen Covey. And in it, he built the entire book around this diagram, which I thought was brilliant. And it breaks down what trust is. What you want in that exposure is you want trusted, you want people to trust you. Because they have to be willing to be in a meeting like this, and their peers are around them, and they're having conversations about who's going to be on the talent program or whatever it is. And they've got to be willing, maybe your name is on a list because it got bubbled up from your manager. They've got to be willing to say, yes, I believe in this person. And I'm, they don't say it this way, but they're kind of putting their badge on the, on the line for that. So trust is the word. Trust is what we want to have with them. So it's good to understand and break down what trust is. So if we look at trust and we break it into two components, it's a combination of character and competence. So character is broken down into intent and integrity. Competence is broken down into capabilities and results. So starting with character, intent. Intent is, and by the way, trust is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's very hard to define. We, we know it when we feel it. We know it when we don't feel it. No one talks about how to build it. So we're going to talk about these components of it, how each one of them 
play a role. If any of these are off, then it's tough to get that exposure that you want. So we're going to talk about each of these, and we're going to talk a little bit about how to build them. So first is intent. In every human interaction, we have a radar that goes off in our brain on if this person's intent is to harm us or to help us or indifferent. So we actually get a response, and it is based on what they say, their body language, how they look. We can read, is this person a positive intent? And what we're looking for, does this person have my best interest at heart? And the reason for that is we're all trying to survive. Even the senior executives, everyone's trying to survive. So is this person's intent to harm me, or is this person's intent specifically, is it to help me in some way? People can sense that. Secondly is integrity. Can I trust this person to do what they say they're going to do? Are they going to lie to me? Very simple. So when I used to think about trust, I would think about these two. And I've been married 18 years. And I would say, I trust my wife with my life. I've always kind of had that as a statement. And when I was introduced to this, I thought about it and said, well, if I need a hip surgery, would I trust that she has the capability and able to deliver the results that I need? Would I trust her in my life with my life in that scenario? Absolutely not. She killed me. <laughs> Hopefully not on purpose. But if I if she doesn't if, if we don't have the capabilities to do the thing, the skills, but it doesn't stop at having the skills and we able to deliver what's expected. This is what senior executives are looking for in people that they want to invest in. So first, they're, they're feeling this out. This kind of gets you in the door. But then this is where the performance comes in. This is why when they make that call to your manager, this and this better be tight or else they're not going to do it because they're not going to risk their reputation. So if we have this as a framework, then we have to think about with each of these, how do we build this with the people we want to build it with? to get the exposure we want. If any one of these is off, they won't, they won't roll with it. If either one of these is off. And what's really interesting, if you sit and there's, in the book, there's this little matrix and you can actually grade, there's questions you can ask for each one of these. And you can think about individual people and give them a score of one to five. So I did that with like several people that I knew. And there was a lot of people that I just didn't trust all the way, and I didn't know why, and I was able to figure out where it was. A lot of times it would be intent. I would feel like, I'm just not sure that they're, they're really for me. You know, I sense, you know, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's whatever. Like, you would just be able to sense there's something about integrity is easy to see. That's something that we usually think of. Another one was I would have people that were, had the skills, but they were more talk than they were delivering the results. And they would be like, oh, that's what it is. So they are skilled, they are talented, but they just don't deliver. And that's why I don't all the way trust them. And then the last thing about this is this is situational. So you have to think about it like this. If you want to move up to the next level, you're asking someone in senior leadership to trust you not to do the job you're currently doing, to do the job you want. So it's not only how are you delivering capabilities and results for your current job, 
what indications have you given them that you could do more? Because that's the thing that is the unknown. So how do they trust you to move up? Which a lot of it is having potential. What, what potential do they see in you? So we go to job, we go to our job every day. We sit down, we're at our desk usually. Um, depending on the job, maybe on the computer most of the time. Going to a conference room for meetings, going to different rooms, go to other people's cubes or offices, talk to them. So we have this full experience in our little circle. And then we go home. And then we come back tomorrow and we do the same thing. It's all, the only people that know about this for us are the people in our circle, people that we work with. So the only way for the senior leader to get this is for us to have a direct interaction with them. So there's a couple ways to have those direct interactions. The simplest one that almost every organization has is what you just mentioned, and that's social events. So senior, the reason that they have these, uh, it can be a volunteer event where the senior leaders will be there. It can be, and that's, this isn't the reason they do volunteer for the community, but it, it is an opportunity they realize to meet people in the company and the organization that they wouldn't normally meet. So any opportunity to engage with them directly is an opportunity to go after. If there's an event, there's a social event, a volunteer event, which is a great way to do it because a lot of times they get involved in those. You have to find a way to put yourself in a situation to meet them or you may never meet them. We won't meet them just going into work doing the, the daily stuff. So any, any event you want to go to. The tricky part, and this is where most people get hung up, is how do you build a relationship with someone that's way up here and not make your manager uncomfortable about that? which is very strange, right? It's, it's sort of a natural, because in the manager's perspective is, they went above me, um, what are they saying? Maybe they may be saying negative things about the group that's gonna affect my career, like there's all these concerns. So the most important, so there's two important connection points in, in trust building, to the senior leader, but also to your direct manager about your intent in talking to that senior leader. The best intent that I have found to have when talking to the manager about, about why I want to talk to the senior leader is something around the lines of I'm looking to grow and learn. And I really, I've read their, their biography. I found this and this interesting. I just really wanted to talk to them about it and understand a little more. If you have a manager that doesn't want you to do that, you don't want to be under that manager. If they say no, you're not allowed to talk to the senior leader. And explaining to them that you're looking to grow, in, and that's your intent, it's very important for them to know that before they hear about you going and talking. Or maybe you were at an event, you had a chance to talk to the executive, the very next day you go to your manager and you tell them. You tell them what happened. The last thing you want, and I've actually seen, had this happen to me, where I connected with a senior executive and didn't tell my manager, and they found out later, then it's the trust, the intent that now they're like, wait, you didn't tell me. Like there's so much that there's there's so much negativity that can come for that. So the best thing is you want to be in lockstep, having face-to-face -face conversations if you can. I know a lot of us are virtual with your manager about what you're doing with this senior leader. So in that conversation, in that interaction, all senior executives, when they meet employees, they're they're doing an assessment. They're doing an assessment. 
they're, they're deciding either this person, oh, this person is really sharp, or they're deciding, oh, this is one of my worker bees, or they're deciding, wow, how did this person get in the group? So it's kind of one of those three, right? So when we have that conversation, if we know that senior leader is going to be at this event, we want to we present ourselves in a way that's going to put us in the first of those categories. We're like, wow, this person's really sharp. So what do you do before you go to the event? Any thoughts on that? How do you prepare? That's tough, right? Yeah. Especially, like, I don't have anything in common with them. It's like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first thing we've got to do is define the image yeah. that we want to leave with them. Mm -hmm. We have to define it. We have to actually sit and think about what is the image that we want them to have of us. And it starts with the image we have of ourselves. And maybe sometimes we're not pleased with the image we have of ourselves. But you know what the beautiful thing is about the brain? We can make up whatever we want it to be. We can decide this is the image that we want to present to this person. And we can start to act that way and we will become that way. That's the way that works. So you think about the image. So an image example would be, do I want to be viewed as a complainer or a problem solver? Probably a problem solver. So if I want to be viewed as a problem solver, chances are, in the example you just gave, I wouldn't go and just gripe about things. I would go and have some ideas and solutions about things, as an example. So give some thought to maybe a two to three things that would describe the image that you want to present. Problem solver, it could be uh, highly intelligent, capable, it could be genuine, it could be, I mean, there's all kinds of things, but you decide and think about what do you think this person would like. Actually, put yourself in their shoes and think about what do you think this person would appreciate. And that's the image. And now you know what your image is that you want. So, how do you promote that image? An example I just gave problem solver it by having actually thought through a few problems and a few solutions. Now here's an important thing to note about those problems. If your problems that you want to solve, let's say we worked in this building and we noticed that there was always lint out in the thing, out in front of room 251C. And we go to the general manager of this facility we're at an event, cocktail event, and the thing we bring up is, you know what, I noticed there's always lint in front of conference room 251C. That really bothers me. Their image and opinion of us, we're a problem solver, yes, take initiative, yes, but are we someone that is thinking about lint, or are we someone that's thinking about increasing revenue for the facility? Whatever question we ask, we're gonna position in their brain what kind of problem solving we are, what kind of problems are we solving. So the best thing to do is try to figure out what kind of problems are they focused on. And this information is always available to us. We can find it just by talking to people, talking to our managers, looking at information on the company website, looking at information that gets flowed down through communication. Actually research everything that this person is responsible for to the point where you could as best as you could, pick out what their objectives are for the year. You go into them and you have an idea on a problem to solve that's actually on their objective that they've got to answer to their leader, 
there's two things that's going to go off in their brain. One is, wow, this person is very strategic. I know they're down in the organization, but they're someone, we should keep our eye on this person. They're really thinking big picture. And two is, everyone usually just comes to me with problems. This person just came to me and tried to help me. They didn't just come, and, and it was a relevant problem to me. And I, hey, lo and behold, it may be an actual solution we could use. Now you set yourself up for continual communication with them on that particular problem. So these are a couple of things to think about as you research. You want to understand everything you can about the person and their job. But here's the other beautiful thing about the internet. And I don't think y'all call me creepy, but I, I will Google people and I will find out everything I can about that person, personally. The information is out there. They're not trying to hide it. I don't feel like it's, I don't hire like the private detective Google version. I would just Google them, maybe look at their LinkedIn. So what it does is it gives you information. You may find out that they went to the same school or they went to a school that you have a relative, relative they went to. They, you find out personal things about them, things that they're interested in, things that maybe they're into a, a nonprofit that you know about and care about. So what this gives you is now when you have that conversation with them, you're now able to bring up things that are relevant outside of work. And now they're seeing you as a whole person. And the more that they see of you, the more that they can feel like they understand who you are, the more transparent you are, then the more they feel like they can trust you. Because here's the thing that no one else talks about, too. The foundation of all of this is transparency. So I remember we would be, we started in an African-American employee resource group at Lockheed Martin as part of the diversity initiative. And one of the things that we got in a conversation about was how, I mean, just to be culturally um, descriptive, as African-Americans, we don't bring our, our business to work. We don't talk about what happened over the weekend at work. We, we were kind of brought up in the environment, you know, you keep, keep your business to yourself. So here's what we talked about in our meetings as African-American resource group is the reason that we weren't getting chosen for these positions because the word that would be said when they're at the table deciding who is going to be in this new program or be promoted the person making the decision would say, well, I don't know them. That was, the, that was the phrase, I do not know them. And if they don't know you, how can they trust you? Now, it could be that they don't know you, but someone has to know you. Because here's the thing. Someone knows other people that you're competing with. Someone knows Red, and you know his likelihood of doing well because he's not performing well is probably going to end up fighting him at some point. But you've got to realize that the only way people know these things is if we're willing to share them. And so we have to be very thoughtful about how do we allow people to know us. And doing things like researching them, understanding things they're interested in, and then when you talk to them, be able to share something about yourself that's aligned to something that you found out about them is how you get to know them in a way that they feel connected to. So don't make it fake. Look for authentic connections. Also, this is the last thing I'll say about this with these conversations, 
look for authentic, and it's so important to this authentic, things that you admire about them. And find a way to let them know that. It can't be made up stuff. People can, especially when they're in senior level, senior levels, you know, they can tell when people are just trying to kiss up to them. And you're not trying to kiss up to them. You're just trying to build a connection with them. And if there's something, if there's nothing there, then don't make it up. <laughs> but if there's something that you admire about them, find a way to, to let them know. Um, it could be some, a role that they had, that they, or how fast they progressed. I mean, there could be anything. But find ways to, to also bring that in. So what are the questions about how to build these connections with senior leaders? Or get the E. Any other questions about getting the E? So, so I was in a seminar one time, and this guy used this description. It stuck with me ever since. But he said it so elegantly. He said, share pearls about yourself. So identify the things about you that you would be proud for everyone to know. Proud for everyone to know could be something about where you were raised or how you were raised. It could be in your current life, anything about your family, if you have kids, if you, if there's just things about you that are, that fit into the category. Because we all have things that are positive about us and we all have things that maybe we wouldn't like other people, everyone to know that we share with our closest, our closest friends. We don't want to share everything. We want to figure out the things that, A, put us in the best light, but are absolutely true things, and B, may be something that we have in common with the people around us. And that's where a lot of times family things may, may come in. Um, if we're raising kids and the most authentic connections I've seen between people at different levels is when they both have three-year-old kids and they're able to share stories about those three-year-olds, because everyone's dealing with the exact same thing with a three-year-old kid. So that's, that would be an example of a pearl. So you find, as you find these things out about people, you look for things within you, if you want to be specific to connect with that person, that you know what, there's a lot of, there's probably 80, 90% where we're different, but this 10%, you know, this is something that I bet they could relate to, and so I'm going to bring that up. Does that help? Yeah, I had to. So remember, I'm the little boy with the hat, and I'm the shy, introverted kid. And so I had to really, really work at this. And especially, oh my gosh, I used to hate going to networking events where you got like cocktail tables, and you're supposed to just go in and talk to people and network. So I learned a tactic that I'll share. I don't know if anyone's introverted and shy, but I'll share a tactic that I learned. Because I remember one day I was at one of these events, and I was staring on the wall, and I literally said to myself, this sucks, and I'm tired of this sucking. So in that moment, I decided to change my experience with these networking events. So what I did, and what I've been doing ever since, is I took all of the attention off me and I put it all on the people that I met. I became genuinely interested in everyone I talked to, and I wanted to learn everything I could about it. And I was able to get through these conversations very comfortably. And what was really funny 
is I started having these conversations where I would just ask them questions and listen, and then maybe share if there was a connection I had. I may just drop, but I wouldn't take over the conversation and with my sharing. I would just kind of share a couple of things that maybe connected. And, but most of it was asking them questions and listening, and afterwards, they would all want to stay in touch. They would all feel like they had a great conversation. Because everyone loves talking about it. It makes us feel important when people ask us questions, right? Don't you feel important when people? So it's a, and for me, it was a very authentic thing because I really wanted to know. I was, I'm trying to learn. I'm always trying to learn from the people around me. So that's, and I had to practice it. And I had to practice, you know, etiquette things. Like um, small things like when to ask for a business card or not ask for a business card. Um, my, my handshakes would be awkward sometimes, sometimes too soft, and I tried to do the hard handshake thing, and I felt like I was hurting people's hands. So you, all these things you kind of find what's your comfortable space with, and there's a there's a, a list of information that's in this PowerPoint deck that goes through that I thought it would be better time just having this conversation than going through the PowerPoint. But there's a list of actual things to do on etiquette when you're engaged in these situations. But the, the biggest thing is getting comfortable with it. So realize that at first, and even if you've been at it for a while, you may not be comfortable. I worked at it and I intentionally went to every event I could so I could practice. And I got to the point where I literally got comfortable being uncomfortable in these situations. I would expect to be uncomfortable, I would embrace it, and I would roll with it. And I would intentionally go to places where I didn't know anybody. I would look for opportunities to go where I didn't know anybody. So there's two things for that. One, they don't really know me, so if I look stupid, you know, they, <laughs> if it's an event that it's not like work people, you know, that I got to worry about, so I got to practice that way. Um, but the other thing was, because I didn't know anybody now, there's so much to learn, right? I have no idea. So I was, um, it's a quick story about this. I went to this gala for this, this group called um, the Executive Leadership Council. And I was invited, I was kind of crashing it. I wasn't actually at the event. Someone had a ticket for me and I sat at this table. And I'm there with the guy I know and there's a couple other people and then there's this woman and her husband to my left. And this was back in 2013-ish, 13, 14. So we're sitting at the table and I didn't know the woman, but I, you know, I just kind of started talking, asking her questions. She said she had a daughter. Her daughter was in the STEM. I was like, oh, I'm an engineer. Um, so her daughter was in grade school. We talked maybe 20, 30 minutes. And she said something that I thought was profound. And I said, wow, I'm going to share that with my mentees. And there was just one statement that she made. I was like, wow, that's, that was good. I'm going to share that with my mentees. And then, so that was it. So we, we leave the table. Um, so later on, there's this after party, and I'm at the after party, and she comes up to me, and she gives me her card, and she says, I want to invite you and your, your mentees to the White House. So I look at her card, and it says, Special Assistant to the President for Personnel. So she was President Obama's chief HR person. and. She, based on, I didn't say anything else about mentees. I said one comment, 
So she knew that there was a mentoring program that I was doing at the time. And then I talked about sending her daughter. She didn't know anything else about me. Didn't know what I did for a living, nothing else. And in that moment, she decided, so we ended up taking all 12 of our mentees. We had red carpet treatment. They brought in different, 12 different staff members to talk to this group. Um, I mean, it was, it was just an amazing experience from this practice of putting myself in situations where I didn't know people and finding ways to make it comfortable while I'm uncomfortable by just being interested. So I just share that because you just never know. Yes, uh, there's a few books I would recommend. Another one is um, probably the top of that list would be a book called Mindset. You got that? Mindset, M-I-D-M-I-N-D-S-E-T. And the author is a woman by the name of Carol Dweck. So in that book, she, she explains these ideas that I shared about we can grow. Our, there's a concept called growth mindset that she is the founder of. And it's actually taking corporate America by storm where a lot of companies are adopting it as part of their culture to have a growth mindset. So growth mindset just means you're willing to try things you haven't done before. And what people, what companies find is that's how innovation happens, that's how engagement happens, because people are willing to try. The interesting thing about it is when we try something new, what are we, what are we worried that it impacts? Word that it impacts our competence. We word that if we don't know what we're doing yet, people aren't going to think we're incompetent, and that's that's how organizations have typically been run. So what she's teaching is how organizations can let people know that this is okay, as long as you're learning and growing, and instead of measuring outcomes, measure growth or people improving. So it's it's a concept that I see just kind of taking on more and more life across all organizations. Um, another good just general book recommendation is Atomic Habits. Oh, yeah. That is a great. And it, was, it just came out last year. Um, James Clear is the author. James Clear, C-L-E-A-R. But so we've been talking about subconscious mind. Our habits sit in our subconscious mind. So he has all these techniques on how to change the habits that are in our subconscious because they make up everything we do. And he's just done great research on that practical ways to do it too, which is really neat. And you can go into you in a short way and then turn it back to him very quickly. Okay. You don't have to have, I know people talk about the elevator pitch a yes, lot. Yes, yes, and that's what I wonder. <laughs> so so I, have, I, have, I have two feelings about, I kind of go back and forth on elevator pitch. I think it's great to be able to say who you are and what you do. But sometimes it can get a little robotic and and it's good to rehearse it too, but you don't want it to sound rehearsed. So you want it, you want it to be conversational, where you, you have the stage for a few seconds, right? They say, what do you do? Like, you definitely want to have an answer for that. And that answer, you want to very quickly say whatever the organization is, what your role is, and something that either you have done or you're focused on doing to make, make things better in that organization. That's a great sort of way to, and then that's what they'll remember going into all the details on all the things that you have done and all. So they can find out about that later, but in that short snippet, just who you are, the role you're in, um, something you're focused on in that role for the organization. 
hopefully, and it's something that's you know to improve, then that's some that's enough for them to say, oh wow, so they're looking to, to change and make things better, because all senior leaders are looking for people that are change agents, because all they're doing, their entire job is to continue to push and make things better, and they're just trying to get everybody around them to do that. So when they find someone that's like that too, that's down the organization, they immediately say, oh, this is someone, this future senior leader right here. That's what kind of goes in their mind. So. Great. Well, thank y'all for coming. I know came in three hour session on Friday morning. That's right. Great. 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 That's what this conference is all about. We come here and we have real conversations and y'all go back and do great things. All right. So I'll be around if you want to. Any other questions throughout the weekend, I'll be here. Thank you for listening to Behavior in Business, Best Practices in Business Etiquette, a professional development seminar featuring Andre Thornton. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Women of Color STEM Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.womenofcolor.net For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101